Well, good morning. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. My name is Dwayne. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. We are currently working our way through the book of Acts. Last time we were together in session number 28, uh, we got down through Acts chapter 16, verse number 31. So today we're going to just for context, pick up in Acts chapter number 16, verse number 25. Uh, those of you that join in normally on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., uh, this is a, a live recording. However, I've got to leave town this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and pre-record this, and it'll air as a premiere. So let's um, open our Bibles to Acts 16, Verse 25, we find uh, Paul and the Philippian jailer, the conversion of the Philippian jailer this morning. So uh, Acts 16, verse number 25, um, let's go ahead and say a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we love you and do ask that you'd go before us today. You'd bless the reading of your word, that, Lord, you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter number 16, verse number 25, and the Philippian jailer, just to get a little bit of context, and then we'll pick up in depth and when we get into verse number 32. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So that's where we left last time. And uh, we see that uh, <clears throat> Paul's response to the Philippian jailer was very different than the response that Peter had in Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, when he preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and Peter said, and they came into Peter, and you remember they said, uh, well, let's get a little context here. Uh, now, when they heard this, they were pricked to their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Um, there's two things to note there. Number one, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do? Uh, here in Acts chapter number two, the nation says, what shall we do? And that is... Uh, two differences when it comes to the gospel, the kingdom that Peter preached, the apostles preached, Jesus preached, John the Baptist preached, um, and what Paul preached, which was the grace gospel. The kingdom gospel was all about a king and a kingdom, and it required national repentance. The nation was to repent, not just the individual. The grace gospel, the kingdom has already been postponed. It's no longer about the nation of Israel repenting. It is an individual gospel. So the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Number one. And number two is, notice uh, the response in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, 
repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, and yet we saw that Paul's response to the Philippian jailer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Um, again, this is not a contradiction. It's a different program. God changes not, but his, but his methods of dealing with man does and has and will. So you can. there's no way you can convince me that these are not two different Gospels. Some people will say, no, nah, same Gospel, you know, no, it wasn't. Uh, one Gospel was a king in the kingdom, required national repentance. Uh, the other Gospel, the Grace Gospel, was uh, in an individual gospel that, gospel that has nothing necessarily to do with the king and the kingdom. Uh, the king and the kingdom was not offered to the body of Christ. It was offered to the house of Israel. And uh, now we pick up in verse number 30, 32 today. Um, let me get back over there. Uh, 1632. And they spake unto him, unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So after the jailer asked the famous question, what must I do to be saved? Um, Paul answers it by sharing the word of the Lord. Notice that he shares the word of the Lord with him. Uh, in other words, he begins to explain the gospel to him. And he took him that same hour, and he took them that same hour of the night. That meaning the Philippian jailer took Paul and Silas that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all of his, straightway. So after Paul had spoken the word of the Lord to him, apparently he had believed, he went and he washed their stripes. And after he had done all that, all his were baptized straightway. And again, you see a difference there. Uh, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, says, Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. The gospel of grace does not require repentance and does not require baptism. It only requires belief. Now notice in verse number 34, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of, with all of his house. And when, the day, and when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant, saying, Let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told, told, and the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, now, therefore, depart and go in peace. I can't help but note that by not leaving and allowing the jailer to minister to them, they actually saved his life. Because you'll remember um, when Peter escaped from prison earlier, Herod had the guards killed uh, in a Roman law, uh, if you, it was life for life. You remember when Jesus was crucified and he was buried and he resurrected, uh, the guards were paid to say that we fell asleep 
and his disciples came and stole him by night. Anyone who knows, who knew how it was life for life for the Roman guards knew that was a lie. Because Roman guards who fell asleep while their prisoners escaped would not live to tell that story. They would be put to death, just like the ones that let Peter go. But by Paul and Silas staying here, ministering to this man, allowing this man to minister to them, they actually saved his life, and most likely the life of a family had the head of the family been killed. Now notice in verse 37, But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned being Romans, and cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and they besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and they departed. So again, we see Paul here playing his Roman citizenship card. Paul unlike the other apostles, was both a Jew and a Gentile by citizenship. And we spoke of this in regards to his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was the only one that had these certifications, but he was really the only one that needed these certifications because the others never left Jerusalem. Their primary ministry was and always was in Jerusalem. Paul, on the other hand, he his ministry was to the Gentiles outside of Jerusalem. So only he uniquely met these qualifications that would, would enable him to reach the Gentiles. Um, he's going to use this card again over in Acts uh, 2137. Um, it says, and as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee? And he said, canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not an Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers? And Paul said, I am a man, which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a city of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So here, Paul uses his citizenship trump card to speak to the people. And then notice in Acts chapter 22, 24, he's going to use it again. Um, and the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore he cried so against them. They cried so against them, and as they bound him with the thongs, Paul said in the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge? a man that is a Roman and uncondemned. So again, Paul had this citizenship, this unique qualification to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the only one that was sent to the Gentiles. And so many people you know, make the error of thinking that um, Peter was wrong in selecting Matthias to replace Judas. Matthias was never sent to the Gentiles. Paul was not even converted at that time. No, Paul, Peter wasn't supposed to wait for Paul because Paul was never ever sent to the nation of Israel. He was sent to the Gentiles. 
He is not numbered with the twelve. Not then, not now, and not in the future. Uh, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. And notice also that he demands justice. See, they sent them in and tried to sneak them away privately and just kind of go out. We realize our mistake. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians are supposed to be chumps. Um, as a matter of fact, all of this passivism that we see in the, the church today comes from not rightly dividing. They're reading in the Gospels about turning the other cheek and giving the cloak and going the extra mile. While all those things are good practical advice, um, they are not for the body of Christ. Uh, I mean, so you can't point to the Scripture as a reason to justify being a pacifist. You just can't do it. If you do, you are not rightly dividing the Word of God. You are putting yourself under the dispensation of the law, under the gospel of the kingdom, instead of being in the gospel of grace under the gospel of grace of which we are. So, again, that, that doesn't come from the Bible. When you, you get into any group that starts preaching that, they're not rightly dividing. Thus, the confusion. Now we get into chapter number 17. <clears throat> now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbaths, reason with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Notice once again that Paul goes straight to the synagogue of the Jews in Thessalonica. And as his manner was, he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. That means that Paul made a habit of every city that he went, he went to the synagogue. Uh, and, of course, in the synagogue was primarily Jews. But there were also Gentiles there. There were Gentiles who were seeking, and there were Gentiles who had <clears throat> been fully proselytized into Judaism, which means they were keeping the law, they had been circumcised, they were Jews for all intents and purposes. Um and notice that he reasons with them out of the scriptures. That means he's trying to convince them using the Old Testament scriptures. He's trying to show them using the Old Testament scriptures. You know, and that's something that each of us should be able to do. And the only way that we can do that is by doing it. We should be able to use our Bibles to show people truth. We should be able to do that, and the only way we can do that is to do that. Practice. Uh, in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I mean, unless you get into the fight, <laughs> unless you get the questions that, well, they're going to ask me something I don't know. Yep, they are. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to go find out. Uh, I still, you know, I, I get up every morning at 545. Uh, I grab me a cup of coffee. I make my way to my office. I turn on my computers. I set up all my, my little recording devices. I sip on my coffee. I start to review my notes. And it never fails. Someone will ask me a question. Hmm, 
I've never thought of that. Hey, you got a point. Um, but that's how you grow. You know, I do this selfishly for my own edification, for my own growth. I study through the book of Acts, and I'm never really that far ahead, at least not this time around, in the book of Acts, even though I've taught the book of Acts many times, both at the church level, the secondary level, the collegiate level. But as I work through the book of Acts now, I'm, 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 I'm viewing it through the mid-Acts lens, um, and that's different for me. So I have learned to question the assumptions. I have learned to, I've completely thrown away my old notes um, because they were not using right division. And I've explained that before. Um, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that, especially Acts uh, 1, Session 1, 2, and 3. Uh, they really explain that. So it's forcing me to study. So the only way you can learn is to study. And the only way you can share is to share. <laughs> the only way you can convince others is to convince others. And not everybody's going to follow along. I mean, Paul experienced that. Sure, some believed, um, but a lot did not. And some broke friendship with Paul, and some even tried to kill the man. Um, but we need, the only way to do it is to do it, period. So what was he trying to convince them of? that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. That's what he was trying to convince them of, that Christ needed to suffer from the dead, or Christ needed to suffer <laughs> and rise again from the dead. Now, bear in mind that he is speaking to Jews who, like many in the church today, believe that Jesus' ministry was a failure because it ended up in the crucifixion. It ended up in the cross. Many people believe that and teach that. And they will say things like, well, they rejected the kingdom offer because they crucified him. No, he never offered the kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven is nigh, it's at hand, but he never offered the kingdom. As a matter of fact, he nor his apostles could have offered the kingdom until after Christ had suffered and risen again from the dead. That was the only thing. He had to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. The crucifixion was not an option. They unknowingly, unwittingly, fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures in crucifying the Lord. And when they did that, they allowed him to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures in regards to his resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And at that point in the book of Acts, chapter number two, Peter, for the first time, legitimately offered them the kingdom. And had they accepted that offer at Pentecost, the tribulation would have began Daniel's 70th week and would have culminated seven years later with the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom, and God would have used the Jews to reach the Gentiles. That was the plan. But that's not what happened. And so many people today in the church will say, well, they rejected the kingdom. They crucified the king. So in Acts chapter number two, 
the gospel was took to the Gentiles and the body of Christ was born. Nay, <laughs> that is not what happened. It is not rightly dividing. Now, if you disagree with that, does that make you and I at odds with, the, with each other? No, no. No more than when I sit down and talk to someone who believes in a post-rapture or a mid-rapture or, you know, no, we just disagree on that. It, it doesn't necessarily affect anything uh, other than when was the church born. Now, I do believe it affects, uh, to its detriment, uh, the gospel. Because those who embrace that acts to birth of the church will, will preach a repentance baptism gospel, which is a works gospel that is under the law. Um, so I do believe that a lot of people are trusting in the altar call. They're trusting in their baptism for salvation, and they've never truly believed. So I, I do believe that it does have an effect there, that is negative. In Galatians, Paul dealt with that. You're combining the law with grace, and therefore you're ending up with nothing. Read Galatians and the whole argument. Who hath bewitched you? You who have began in the Spirit, are you going to finish in the flesh now? Um, Paul dealt with that. I, I, I believe that's the strongest uh, problem when you when you don't see it that way. You do mix the, the kingdom and the grace gospel together, and Paul says you end up with nothing. Um, so bear in mind, Christ's ministry was not a failure. It happened for a reason. It's why he came. He had to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies in regards to his crucifixion in order for the kingdom to be legitimately offered in Acts chapter number 2 at the mouth of Peter. That's why Peter was given the keys. That's why Peter was placed in charge. <laughs> That's why Peter was given the authority to bind, to bind and to loose. Um, too many in the church today see it the same way in that they view the rejection of the Messiah as the rejection of the kingdom. No, the kingdom was not offered in the Gospels. It could not have been offered prior to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And again, this misunderstanding is where the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 comes from. It's a misunderstanding. Now, notice that he did this for three Sabbath days. Uh, I think that anyone who teaches the Scripture to others totally understands this. It does not happen overnight. Uh, it takes time to convince people using the Scriptures as to the truth of the gospel and let me tell you something, it's a whole lot easier to teach, uh, to convince people as to the truth of the gospel than it is to convince people of the error of their understanding of the gospel. <laughs> because they've been taught. Nothing's more dangerous than a man with a little bit of knowledge. Um, but it, it does take time to convince people of anything. And I believe that Paul, being Jewish, I believe he still preached the gospel of the kingdom, um, what I did there. He, he still preached the gospel of the kingdom um, because the full revelation of the postponement had not yet been made known to him. And I believe that he did preach the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews, uh, and he preached the gospel of grace to both Jew and Gentile that had not received the gospel. 
uh, of the kingdom. So, but we've we've already went through that. That's hard to establish. I'm not going to be dogmatic on that. Some would say from the time Paul was saved in Acts chapter 9, he never preached the gospel of the kingdom. He immediately went into the gospel of grace. I totally wholeheartedly reject that. Paul didn't know the gospel of grace. It wasn't until later that the mystery the, the mystery was revealed unto him. He didn't know it. So he obviously for a time preached the gospel of the kingdom because that's all he knew. But there was a point around Acts chapter 13 that he began to preach the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it only required belief to be saved. So the question is, did Paul continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom even after he received the revelation of the mystery? I would contend that most likely he did, because even though he had received revelation in regards to the gospel of grace, he still had not received full revelation or at least as far as I can gather from Scripture, about the postponement of the kingdom, because he still mentioned the coming tribulation and the establishment of the kingdom. So I believe for a time Paul did preach uh, the gospel of kingdom and the gospel of grace, uh, fully expecting the tribulation to happen with the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom. I don't believe he understood completely the postponement. Again, but I'm on I'm on thin ice there. There's nothing in Scripture except what I'm trying to draw from the context to see that. Um, Then notice in verse number four, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. In the end, some of them did believe. Both Jews and proselytized Greeks believed. These were not just Jews. Greek-speaking Jews. These were Greeks who were not biologically Jews. Uh, And we know that by the way that word Greek is translated there in verse number four, because it says that they were Hellene, which means that they were non-Jew Gentiles. Okay, Uh, They were Greek-speaking people. They were not Hellenistas which is referring to Greek-speaking Jews, as we saw earlier in the book of Acts. And notice that they consorted with Saul. Uh, That literally means that they gave a lot to. It means that they cast lots with. They were all in with what Paul and Silas were saying. Now, notice in the rest of verse number 5. But the Jews which believed not were moved with envy. And they took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and <clears throat> and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So here they go again. Can't just disagree and walk away. Uh, they got to run it, or they're going to ruin it. <laughs> uh, having flashbacks to my days of pastoring a church. Um, Troublemakers are never content to go it alone. Uh, They will always proceed to gather the discontented and the confused around them. Uh, That's why I learned a long time ago as a pastor, as soon as you see it, you deal with it. Uh, like Barney Fife says, nip it, nip it, nip it. I mean, if you don't deal with it, it's going to spread like a cancer. 
you can go in your office and pray all day long, uh, but you got to nip it. God put you in charge. Get a backbone and go nip it uh, because it, it will spread. Uh, it, it must be confronted. Uh, if it's not, it will get worse. Um, disappointment is unmet expectations. <laughs> So if you don't want to be disappointed, uh, just go and do what needs to be done. I learned that a long time ago. And if you ain't got the backbone to do that, then you shouldn't be pastoring a church. Um, either that or you need to put men around you that do. Uh, and most pastors I've found are generally type Bs, laid back, phlegmatic types. Um, they're not aggressors. It's just not in their nature. Grace is at the top of their their list of uh, attributes. Uh, and, and if you like that, that's fine. You need to get some, some guys around you, uh, that can help address issues in the church. Cause if you don't, you're just going to have these issues all the time. So anyway, I'm not preaching, I'm not teaching today on how to run a church. So, uh, um, and if I was that great at it, I, I probably would still be running one myself. So <laughs> anyway, but anyway, these troublemakers, they're never content to go it alone. They always proceed together, the discontented and the confused around them. Uh, and notice that they were moved with envy. So instead of comparing Scripture with Scripture, they moved with fleshly jealousy against them and gathered unto them certain rude fellows of the baser sort. Uh, this means that these people were easy to influence and, and bring them to their side. So they grabbed these uh, lewd fellows of a baser sort. And that word base means they weren't the smartest things in the world. Uh, they were easily influenced. And that's what happens. They, they grab the baser sorts. Um, you know, like attracts like, uh, just the way it works. Uh, and they set the entire city in an uproar. And of course, that was against Paul and Silas. And they assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring him out to the people. Uh, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down have come hither also, whom Jason had received, and these are due contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, one Jesus. Now, little was known about Jason, but he was apparently hosting Paul and Silas at his home. Uh, he's also mentioned, I believe, we believe in Romans chapter 16, verse number 21, when Paul speaks of Timotheus, my fellow worker, Lucius, and Jason. Um, uh, so it seems that Jason was definitely a believer. It seems that Jason was hosting um, Paul and his companions, so therefore they took out their jealousy on Jason. And, of course, the accusation against Paul and Silas was insurrection um, because um, they are accusing him of sedition, uh, which is basically insurrection because look at the rest. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and the brethren um, and the rulers of the city. These have turned the world upside down and they have come here also. So turning the world upside down, they are accusing them of insurrection. Now, some would say, being me, <laughs> that this is proof that Paul was indeed teaching a kingdom gospel. 
for if it had been the gospel of grace, which is spiritual and heavenly, these accusations of earthly and physical would not have been brought against them. Um, now remember, the kingdom gospel is future, uh, or the kingdom gospel is future, physical, and fraternal, and it's promised to the Jews. So it seems to me that this is what they were preaching because they are accusing them of um, <clears throat> of saying this Jesus is king. So obviously he was sharing the kingdom gospel in regards to a king and a kingdom. Now again, I'm not going to build a, a whole doctrine on that, but the kingdom was promised to the Jews. So this is the only way, in my opinion, that they could have been been accused of insurrection. Uh, an insurrection is an act or instance of revolting against a civil government or authority. That is the exact same thing that they accused Jesus of uh, in Luke 23, 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So they were accusing Jesus of insurrection by making himself a king. And now they're accusing Paul and Silas of the same thing. Um, why? Because obviously they, just like Jesus, spoke of a kingdom in which Jesus was king. Um, the hypocrisy of it is that while accusing Jesus of being an insurrectionist, they ask the release of a known convicted insurrectionist by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas was in there for the same reason. Uh, so when, when Pilate offered them Barabbas or Jesus, both were accused. Of course, Barabbas was also a murderer. Um, but they were accusing Jesus, Barabbas of insurrection just like they were accusing Jesus of insurrection. In Luke 23, 18, And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city. That word sedition means an insurrection. So not only did they release an insurrectionist, but they also released a murderer over Jesus. Um, so the hypocrisy of it all. Again, I just don't think they could have accused um, Paul of this had he simply been preaching the grace gospel. But again, we can, we can agree to disagree there. No problem. Um, and then notice in verse number eight, and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let them go. So these lewd fellows, fellows of a baser sort continue uh, to stir up the people and the rulers of the city with this accusation. We don't know what became of it. We know that Jason was still around because by the time Paul writes the book of Romans, um, he talks about Jason. He was still apparently a believer, a follower. And then notice in verse number 10. And when the and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night to Berea, and coming thither they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So once again, Paul is sent away by night. Uh, Berea is interesting. It is the modern day Varia in Greece. Uh, historically, uh, the last 460 Jews were removed from Berea on May the 1st, 1943, by the Germans and sent to concentration camps. Um, of these 460, 150 of them were children. And we're told historically that they were taken by train 
from Bedia, Berea, to Thessalonica, and they were dropped off on May the 8th at Auschwitz, and every one of them were put to death. Sad note in history. Uh, so Berea is where he's going, modern-day Bedia. Uh, and notice that he once again goes straight to the synagogue. Um, he had a heart for his Jewish brethren. Um, many will question why Paul, knowing he was called to the Gentiles, would continue to try to go to the Jew. Because he had very little results, but he did have some results in dealing with them. But Paul had a heart to go to the Jews. And you remember at Paul's conversion, it says, he will bear my name for Jews, Gentiles, and kings. Um, So Paul was taking his message to the Jews. Um, And bear in mind, Paul is getting way outside the confines of Jerusalem. He may very well be dealing with Jews that had never even heard the gospel of the kingdom, um, which lends credence to maybe he was teaching the gospel of grace to them. But again, or he could have been both. He could have been explaining one, but now this one. I mean, we just don't know. The, the text just does not say, start here. It, it just doesn't say that. Um, and then notice what it says in verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also of honorable men, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Um, so here, a compliment is paid to these Jews in Berea in that they're more noble than the Jews that were in Thessalonica. How so? Because they received the word with all readiness of mind. Um, and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And of course, the scriptures that they searched were what we would call the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis through Malachi, not necessarily in that order, but that's the books that they had. And as a result, many of them believed. I really do believe that if people would listen and if people would search the scriptures, they will see just what the Bereans saw, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. As such, we must be students of the scripture. You know, if if you disagree with me over the birth of the church in Acts chapter number 2, then open the scriptures for yourself because nowhere does it say happy birthday church in, in Acts chapter 2. That is, that is something that is going to have to be drawn from the text. That is something that's going to have to be many times assumed because the text simply does not say that. Um, so you're going to have to compare scripture with scripture. You know, I encourage you, find me some Gentiles in the first several books of Acts. It's he's speaking to Jews. Um, So we must be students of Scripture. I posted the other day that every four years, we get a front row seat to see just how rampant biblical illiteracy is in the United States. Uh, I mean, we see people, you know, preachers uh, justifying abortion. saw a famous uh, preacher the other day justifying abortion, using the Scriptures to do so. Uh, we see people on the other side saying, well, I can't vote for this man because he's not this. Well, I mean, last time I checked, we wasn't installing a pastor. 
uh, we were voting on a president. And if you're waiting for a godly president, I hope you're not holding your breath uh, because I don't think we've had one in a very long time. Uh, and there's nothing. Most of them, most of those guys wipe out very early. Um, so anyway, biblical illiteracy is rampant. It was rampant here. Um, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, so where does our faith come from? The word of God. It doesn't come from your preacher. It doesn't come from your denomination. It comes from the word of God. So when I say something, you say something, go to the word of God. That's the only way that your faith is going to grow. And notice also that once again, not only did the Jews respond, but also some of the Greeks. Now notice in verse 13, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul and Berea, they came hither also, thither also, and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timothy, Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So here come the troublemakers, these unbelieving Jews from Thessalonica. Um, they were the ones that stirred up the problems there, and they obviously found Paul's preaching to be offensive in that it by default condemned the nation of Israel for the rejection of the Messiah. Uh, Silas and Timothy stayed where while Paul went to Athens, and they were expected to catch up with him later. And we do find in chapter number 18, verse number 5, they did indeed catch up with Paul later on in Athens. And notice that the brethren sent Paul away to go as it were to the sea. This seems to indicate that they did a pump fake, that they sent him as it were to go on the sea and catch a boat, but he didn't. He went by land to Athens. So it seems to be a way of, of shaking the Jews um, that were seeking him off of his scent. In other words, they lost him. Uh, they didn't. They thought he had boarded the ship and he was gone. And then notice in verse number 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So <clears throat> I so identify with this verse today. I too am stirred <laughs> for our nation. Like Athens, America is wholly given over to idolatry. Uh, the word stirred literally means provoked. And by definition, provoked means to call forth, to stir up a purpose, to provide a, stim a needed stimulus for. I honestly believe that anyone who claims to be a Christian um, does not, that does not feel the same way has a leak somewhere in their faith. Um, I'm stirred at our country and what's going on. I'm brokenhearted at our country and what's going on. Uh, and that's what Paul felt as he looked at Athens and he saw not an, not an ounce of spiritual truth. Uh, he was provoked in his spirit. And as a result, he wanted to share with them the truth. We should want to do the same thing. And I've found, you know, I can post a million memes on Facebook. It's not going to change anybody's opinion. Um, but the only thing that I can say that I have a promise from Scripture that will never return void to me is not a meme. 
It's the Word of God. The Bible says not one word spoken will return void. So I've decided I'm just going to teach the Word of God. And unfortunately, I don't get as many likes. I don't get as many uh, people listening to my messages as I do uh, little memes, unfortunately. I mean, people just don't have a hunger for God. Even Christians don't have a hunger for God. The church has malnutritioned them for so long. Um, you know, they're practically in rigor mortis when it comes to the things of God. Um, but still, it's the only thing that I can do that I'm promised my words will not return void. So I'm going to continue to do so. Uh, that's why I take this message and I share it. And more people I don't know respond to it than people I do know respond to it. And that's fine. That's what God's given me. Uh, if we are not careful, our passive and sinful nature can become callous to what is going on around us. Uh, this is, there is a progression uh, there from ab abhorrence to what's going on around us to tolerance of what's going on around us to acceptance of what is going on around us. And I honestly believe that we go down this road naturally when we fail to not just read the Bible, but to study it. Um, I posted this yesterday. A poor appetite or lack of desire for studying God's Word results in a stunted spiritual growth. You are a spiritual midget if you do not study the Word of God. Your faith will become weak. You will no longer walk by faith, but you will walk by sight, which is flesh. And eventually, you will end up in disobedience to God in and or multiple areas of your life if you do not know the Word of God, if you do not study the Word of God. And notice verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them, that met with him. This is our last verse. Notice Paul put his feet to his provocation. He was stirred and he did something about it. <clears throat> and he did this by disputing with those in the synagogue, with the devout persons, in the market daily with them that met with him. We must do the same thing. It is not enough to simply pray and hope we need to put feet to our provocation. We need to put feet to our stirring. Um, I can't help but notice that he began in the synagogue. I firmly believe that the downward spiral, spiritual spiral that our nation is in is because of the spiritual apathy of God's people. The spiritual apathy of God's people. They can binge watch something on Netflix but they can't sit down and listen to a message. They can't sit down and study the Word of God. They can't sit down and learn how to rightly divide the Word of truth. It's spiritual apathy. And again, that is going to lead to abhorrence, to tolerance, to acceptance every single time. Um, our churches are complacent. They are lazy, and for the most part, they are spiritually malnutritioned, and it has long time started to reflect in our society. The lights have gone out of the lighthouses, and it's sad. It's sad. There, there's a church on every corner where I live, and there's 
very few of them that I can recommend wholeheartedly to anyone. And it's sad. And notice that he disputed with them. We need to be willing to do the same thing. But that requires preparation. And most Christians are simply too biblically illiterate to speak with any amount of compassion, let alone knowledge. Let that not be said of us. Study the Word of God and see if these things be so. Be good Bereans. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Don't just believe everything you hear. I had a dear friend who said, said, believe none of what you see and only half of what you hear. Make sure that what you hear is coming out of Scripture, that it can be that its foundation is in the Word of God. And only then do you embrace it. And even then, call it suspect. Continue to study the Word of God because sometimes it's happened to me. I find out that I was wrong in some area. And when I was young, I had a problem admitting that. Now, I have no problem with telling you at all that I've been wrong about a lot of things. And I am still coming to new truth every single day of my life almost as I study the Word of God. So I would encourage you. I pray that you're blessed by uh, the teaching today. And uh, remember, we meet uh, Tuesday through Friday every morning, 6.30 a.m., 15 to 20 minutes, working our way through the book of Acts. Tuesday morning, 6.30, will be verse 18. And then on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock normally, I have a busy weekend. I've got to do something this, this morning. But at 9 a.m., we're live on Facebook going back over everything we studied Tuesday through Friday. God bless you guys. Hope that you have an awesome Lord's Day. And remember that He loves you. He wants the best for you. And He's working all things out for your good.